0: Amen. John chapter 14, we'll look at verses 18 through 27. It was December 24th, 1914, Europe in World War I, where the French, the German, and the British troops decided to do something that would shock the world. They decided to cease fire and they would slowly climb out of their trenches, and they would meet together in the wide open field where they had previously shot across at each other. And they agreed to meet for this exchange of a Christmas greeting. And this happened all throughout uh, World War One on December 24th in 1914. And some of the places, men would come and they would play football. Someone exchanged food. Someone exchanged alcohol. Someone exchanged smoke. Someone exchanged just a conversation or a gift. Some even were reported to sing uh, Christmas songs together. And it was this really unique scene. In fact, I wish I could have put more pictures up, but this is the, uh, an illustration of what had happened um, during that day. And this event uh, became an iconic picture of a truce. In fact, if you even Google Christmas truce, this is what comes up. And it was a glimpse of peace in the middle of one of the most violent conflicts in human history. There was a Scottish veteran of World War I named Alfred Anderson, who um, he was one of the latest survivors of World War I. He eventually passed in 2005, a couple of years before his death. He vividly spoke of this Christmas Eve, and he said, "I remember the silence, the eerie sound of silence. Only the guards were on duty. All went outside the farm buildings and just stood listening, and of course, thinking of people back home. And I'd hear all I'd heard for for two months in the trenches was hissing and cracking, cracking and whining of bullets and flight, machine gun fire, and distant German voices, but." There was dead silence that morning. This dead silence that ran across the land as far as you could see. We shouted, Merry Christmas, even though no one felt merry. The silence ended early in the afternoon. And get this, the killing started again. He says it was a short piece in a terrible war. It's not a fascinating statement. It was a short peace and a terrible war. And sadly, that's what it feels like when we experience peace now. It often feels like a short peace. We see peaceful things that happen in our culture, but oftentimes it is short-lived. However, the Christmas season is one where we use the word peace a lot. Or maybe you've heard the phrase or see the phrase a lot, peace on earth. You see it in the phrase uh, in peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Or the famous Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We sing peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And so what is it about this season that causes us to want peace or to talk about peace or to have the words up on our mantle of peace, love, or joy, or whatever it is? What is it about peace whereby soldiers who are enemies would cease fire and come together just to sing Christmas carols on a short setting. That's what we're going to unpack this morning. What is it about Christmas? What is it about Christ coming to the world that brings us peace? But the kind of peace that we're going to talk about is not a short-lived peace. It's not one where we come back and fight again. Rather, This is a lasting peace. The kind of peace that Jesus offered is one that is not temporary or temperamental. It is one that lasts forever. And so I want to tell you where we get that peace. I know you're probably not on the edge of of your seats of where we get that peace. I'll just give you the punchline. We get it from Jesus. And Jesus is the one who gives peace. And so in John 14, we're going to see Jesus as the giver of peace. And so we're going to look at what that means this morning. And so here's the scene in John 14. That rhymes. John 13 says this. It talks about this really difficult thing that the disciples hear from Jesus. They're all sitting with Jesus. They're having dinner with Jesus. And Jesus really drops the bomb on his disciples. Here they are. They're believing that the Messiah coming would mean that they would have peace on earth, which means they would, that the Messiah would come and he would overthrow Roman authority. And there would be no more violence toward them as a people. And now Jesus is here with his disciples who are all Jews. And Jesus says, I'm going to die. And then he goes, not only am I going to die, but one of you is going to betray me and another one of you is going to deny me. Thank you, Jesus. What an awesome meal that we're having. If you thought your Thanksgiving dinner was awkward with your crazy uncle, well, have dinner with Jesus. This is what Jesus says at his dinners. And so here he is, he's saying, "Um, this is all going to happen. And then he tells them this, at the very beginning of John 14 the very first lines of John 14, after he says this, if you see him say this in John 13, the very opening lines of John 14 is, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You just said that you were going to die. And you just said that one of us who are your friends is going to betray you. And then you're going to say another one of us who are your friends are going to act like you don't even exist. How in the world is our hearts not going to be troubled? But Jesus says it in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. And then what does he do in John 14? He gives them a picture of this place that they'll they'll all live together with him. It's a place with, he says, uh, with many mansions. It's this place with streets of gold. It's this place where there is everlasting peace and there is no war and there is no sorrow and there is no sin. And that's what they can look forward to. But here's what Jesus does next. He says, you can have, you will have that then if you follow me. But then Jesus says this in John 14, and this is where we'll pick up. He's saying, there's a way that you can actually have that peace right now. Anybody here want that kind of peace? Because this is what he's offering us. This is what he's saying. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to give you this peace that is going to be a little bit of a taste of what you're going to experience Later with me. And so we're going to pick up in verse 18. John 14, 18. He says this. Remember, they're thinking that he's going to die, thinking that he's going to leave. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Isn't that a beautiful statement by the Lord Jesus? He says, I'm going to die but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. Friends, I don't know where you are this morning or how you feel about the holidays, but this is the Lord Jesus. This is what he offers us. You know, the phrase that we use around uh, this time of year, we say, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is what? With us. So he's saying, I am with you. I am not going to leave you as an an orphan. And so maybe for those of you who are here, the holidays are painful for you. Maybe you don't feel like you belong in your family. Maybe you're like the only believer in your family, or maybe your family is just broken and you just really are. You feel like, I just don't have a place to belong. Uh, Maybe you've experienced loss and you come from a broken home and maybe you feel like, where do I fit in? How do I, where, where is my family? I want you to find rest in the words of Jesus this morning. He says, I will come to you, which means you don't have to go anywhere to go all these different crazy family members' house. I'm coming to your house. That you are not alone. That I am with you. So if you feel abandoned or alone or rejected, he says, I'm coming over. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. And church, I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else in this series here, that this is the heart of the Lord Jesus— You are not alone. I am with you. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. That's beautiful, church. Amen? And then he says this in verse 19. He says, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, and listen to this, because I live, you will also live, and that day you will know That I am in my Father, and you in me, and I am you. What? What are you talking about? Now you're talking about you're in the Father, and then we're in you. Like, what are you saying, Jesus? This would be a lot to take on. Again, they just heard that Jesus is going to die. And then he makes this statement that um, I, because you live, I will live. Well, how is that encouraging? Because you just said that you're going to die. So if we're living because you're living, what does it mean if you die? Doesn't it mean that we're also are gonna die? Like, how is this, how is this all going to add up? Because but here's the reality of this. This sounds like bad news to them, but for us, we live on this side of the cross. What do we know about Jesus' death? Jesus didn't stay in the grave, Jesus did resurrect. And so we know on this side of the cross that Jesus lives, but for them, Jesus is, is here now predicting his own resurrection. Yes, I'm going to die, but I'm also going to live. And now, when I live, I am going to live in you. That I'm going to be, that you and I are going to be united. There's going to be union with Christ. And this is one of the most important aspects. Of the resurrection, I know every single year we come together, we celebrate uh, Easter, and we say, "Man, thank God for a risen King." And sometimes it's hard to kind of pinpoint like what is it about the resurrection that is so significant. In fact, I know some theologians that would say it's not essential to your your Christian life, and I would argue it absolutely is essential. Like I don't believe unless you believe in the resurrection of Christ, I don't believe that you can actually become a believer because I think it's that essential to the Christian life. Here's why. Be, partly because of what Jesus says. There's other passages that say, if you didn't resurrect, you're still in your sin. Those are those are pretty weighty and very important. But this is one that Jesus says here. He says, because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that my, that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. You see what Jesus says here? Because he is living, because he did in fact resurrect, he says he is alive in us. Which means that is actually what it means to be a Christian. That Christ is in you. It's not just about, okay, I prayed a prayer when I was young and now I'm going to heaven. No, Christ is in you. That's what it means to be a believer. That means the presence of God is always with us, that he's always working and moving in the hearts of those who believe, working and moving among his church, among his people. And he's always making us new. He's always making us more like Christ. One of the analogies that Jesus uses about this is actually in the very next chapter in John 15. He looks at his disciples and he says, I am the true vine and you are the what? Branches. You and I, as believers in Jesus, are united to Christ as he is the true vine. And as long as the true vine exists, the branches are always going to grow. Why? Because Christ is in us. Now, confession here, I know nothing about plants other than how to kill them. I know nothing about how to make them look alive or look really nice. This is not my gift. And so recently, we've tried to kind of do an uplift of our front, the front of our house. We tore, tore it the railings. I put like cedar posts up. That I can do. But when it comes to like shrubbery, my wife and I are just, man, we cannot, we don't know what looks good or what we know what looks bad. Our shrubs look bad our shrubs start to look like they have a, a bald spot. You know what I'm saying? Like they start to get dry and they start to look like jack-o'-lanterns. Like they start to have like eyes of just empty spaces. And so just is like, I'm like, we're going to cut them down. And so I did what a good husband would do. I'm like, man, I can make it look like I've done a lot of work in a very little time just by taking a chainsaw to the bottom and just cutting them off and then just cutting as close as I can to the ground to make it look like I've got it taken care of. So I pile up. I mean, I'm massive. It was done in like eight minutes. I felt so accomplished. She was gone. She came back. These shrubs were mounted up by the street so they can come pick it up. And it was clean. But what did I do? I just cut it from the bottom. What happens? A week or two go by. The truth begins to be known that this thing is still alive because now this little baby shrub begins to show up, right? That's what they're called, right, shrubs? Um, It begins to pop back up, and then these little bitty leaves start to manifest. Why? Because I need to kill that root. I need to either chain it up to the back of my truck and try to reach it out, or some of y'all have now, the 9 o'clock was like, you know, there's like this poison that you can get. Okay, thank you very much, Tractor Supply Company. I'm going to be there this week. Um, And so if you guys want to come over and do it, That's great. Pastor appreciation was a few months ago. It's fine. I'll take a late gift. Either way, I've got to get in there and I've got to kill that root. I've got to destroy it because if I don't, it's going to keep growing. And so here's the beauty of what it means to be united in Christ. Okay, if he is the vine and we are the branches and if Christ is in us, man, we are kind of unstoppable in the sense of our growth. Like we are unstoppable in the sense that no matter what's going to happen to us, no matter the pain that we go through, no matter how much we feel like we've gotten cut off, the root is still there, which means we'll, we'll constantly uh, spring up and grow. And that's the beauty of Christ in us. And that's what he's saying to his disciples. Look, I know this feels like it's impossible. And I know he's like, okay, you're all anxious about my death. You're all anxious about the betrayal that you're, you're about to see happen and all the things that are going to unfold. Yes, it's going to be painful and hard, but don't let your hearts be troubled because listen, the root is still there because I am going to live in you. And that's the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus, that he is always here. Jesus says it so boldly that he says the union that you have with me is the same union that I have with my Father. That's how secure that you can be in your faith. So if you ever wonder, man, can I lose my salvation? Let me just tell you, you you can't lose anything that you didn't get on your own. It's all given to you as a gift. If you could lose your salvation, you would. How secure you are united with God, the Father, through the death of Jesus is that secure that Jesus is united to the Father himself. That's how secure that you are. That's how alive that you are because Christ would live in you. Church, is that good news? I mean, mean, I'm so excited about the peace that he offers us in Christ. So here he is. Jesus is sharing all this. And he gets this question from one of his disciples. Look at verse 21. It says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will be manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, which I think is funny. Like how bad does Judas Iscariot have to be that anytime a person named Judas, they have to say not Iscariot. Judas, not Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it? that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world. Now, I love what not Iscariot is asking Jesus here. He's asking Jesus this question that's kind of rooted in both um, Jewish history and kind of an important question that even we ask today. The first question, the first way he's asking this is, okay, the, the Jews expected the Messiah to bring an end to all world's problems. And so he's saying, if you're going to die, why are you just giving this to us? Why don't you just give this to the rest of the world? Like if you're coming and you're going to do this for us now, why aren't you going to do this for the rest of the world? Which is the second thing, that if Jesus is all powerful, then why die? Like if Jesus could cure all the diseases and in all wars, why would the only person who had the power of peace not give it? And that's what G- Judas is asking here. Why not just bring peace to the world now? Why do you have to die to bring peace? And why are you just giving this to us? Why not to everybody right now? Where's the peace right now? It's a good question. Look at what Jesus says. And it seems like he's going to dodge it, but he's not. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will and, and we will come to him and make our home with him whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the father who sent me now it almost seems like Jesus is dodging the question. Remember Judas' question. Judas is saying, okay, why are you just doing this for the disciples? Why aren't you going to do this for the whole world? Why don't you end peace? Why don't you bring peace right now? Why don't you force peace to happen right now? And Jesus responds by talking about loving his word, keeping his commandments, and loving him. So it seems like he's dodging the question, but here's how Jesus is answering Judas, not Iscariot's question. Jesus isn't going to fix the world through a sweeping move. Jesus isn't going to bring about redemption and peace through control or force. Rather, he says, through keeping his word and loving him. In other words, God chooses to not bring peace to the world through force. Rather, he brings peace to the world through love. My son, my oldest son is now 15 years old. And uh, he, I remember when he was about two or three, he's the easiest baby. He was a super easy toddler. But that two and three years are just, they're tough, right? And you're trying to, you feel like everything that you're doing is forcing them to do something that they just don't want to do, right, parents? It's like, clean your room. Please clean your room. I'm not going to let you leave the room. I'm going to lock the room up until you clean your room, right? Don't throw your food on the floor. Eat your food. Don't throw your food on the floor. Eat your food. I remember this one season, man, we had the Christmas tree you set up, and I remember Finn peed near the Christmas tree. Why did you do that? Here's the potty. We're making you sit in there for a long time until you, like everything feels super forced. And then you're like, man, am I messing this kid up, right? Every first parent, when that first one comes along, the only thing you owe your first is is an apology. I heard somebody say that. Because I was like, man, are we going to mess him up? Does he even like us anymore? Like, I feel like all the things we're saying is no and do this. And it feels so forced. It just doesn't feel like a relationship. And here I am, I'm a relational person. I want this connection. And I feel like all day I'm just barking orders and making you do something that you don't want to do. And I remember this one moment, and I've had other moments like this, but there was this one moment where he's about two, two and a half, and I'm sleeping, and I remember waking up, like my eyes open. He's staring at me like this, and he's got his hands behind his back, and I'm like, oh, man, (laughs) he's going to hit me with, you know, whatever. And he's like, hey, Dad. And at this time, I wasn't a coffee drinker. I would drink Coke in the morning, and he pulls around his back a Coke, And he hands it to me and he says, good morning, dad. I love you. And he gave me a kiss on the head. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, (laughs) he loves me. (laughs) And he did that because I didn't say, I never at one point, as a parent said, when I wake up, you better bring me my Coke in the morning, right? (laughs) I never had to say that to him. He just knew me and he knew I loved him. And as a result, he loves me. And that continued in our relationship as a father. Are there things that I force him to do now? Yes. Clean your room is still there, right? Do your, do your algebra homework. is still there. I can't help you, but figure it out, right? It's still there. There's things that are still there. But man, does it bring my, my heart joy when I'm just sitting in the office and I get a text from him and it's a funny meme? Or a video he thinks is ridiculous that he knows that he's, I'm going to laugh at. Or if I'm out of town, he says, I miss you and I love you. Does it bring my heart joy that he would just do that? Yes, because I love him and he loves me. And that's the beauty of this. And I could say, well, I can make him, I can make him listen to me by force, but what would I rather have love? And this is what Jesus is saying that he'll do. I'm not going to give peace to the world through force, I'm going to give peace to the world when my people, my sons and my daughters will know me and know my word and have a heart change and love me. Does God have the power to force the world to change? Yes. But he chooses to offer love because love is more sincere. Love is more genuine. And he is love. And that's what he offers the world. And this is why Jesus says it. Listen, it's about you knowing me, knowing my word and obeying my commands and loving me. And if you do that, you reflect the love that the Father has given to me and the Father that I give to the Father. You're showing this love that Father, Son, and Trinity and Spirit have together in the Trinity. That's the beauty of all this. And so you're wondering, man, how do I I love God that way? Okay, I know His word, and I come to church. I worship God. I'm in a small group and listen. I'm in a discipleship relationship. How do I love God this way? And this is what Jesus is going to show us next. Verse 23, He says, "If anyone loves Me, He will keep My word, and My Father will love Him, and will come to Him and make our home with Him. Whoever does not love Me does not keep My word. And the word that you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me." These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So Jesus is saying, these are the things you need to know while you're with me. So take all this in, what I'm teaching you, what I'm showing you. Obey my word. As a result, you're going to love me. But what happens when he leaves? This is what the answer that he, this is the question that he answers. But, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he says this, I love this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The things I'm teaching you now, I want you to listen. But even as I leave, I'm going to give you a promise, Holy Spirit. And this promised spirit, I'm going to call the helper. He's going to bring to remembrance all things, and he's going to give you a peace a peace that is not like the world's peace. What's the world's peace? Well, the world's peace is temporary. The world's peace is much like the event I described earlier in World War One. It's one that we just see that we can be together, but we will quickly break alliance. And that's the sad thing that happens in our culture. It happens with families. It happens with friendships. It happens with countries. It happens with basketball teams. I mean, if you saw it this week. I, you have the uh, preseason ranked Tar Heels at number one, and then at the very beginning of the season, everybody's like, "We're going to do it this year. We love these guys. What a great group of kids! What a great group of guys! We have got it this year." They had, they lose three games in a row, what happens? Pre Madonna's these punk kids, they think they are. Da, da, da. I'm not even going to watch another game. And then what happens? They start winning again. I told you all along. They got it. You know, we just kind of go back and forth, don't we? I mean, how many times do we see this even in our culture in the last few years? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. We're friends. You bring up vaccination or mask. We're not friends anymore. I can't believe you would. Even you, coward, whatever it is that we throw out, right? And we we do this so quickly. And thankfully, those conversations are less and less prevalent in our culture as we were a year ago. But I was so saddened how quickly we see friends and family and believers in Jesus divide over these things. And so it's temporary, like the peace that we experience now. And Jesus says, friends, brothers and sisters, let not your hearts be troubled. Like, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send my helper and I'm going to say, this is the peace I give you. And this is not a temperamental or shallow peace. It is a lasting peace. Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And what Jesus does with this statement, first of all, he explains how the presence of Jesus would always be with him and it would be through the indwelling spirit. And not only that, but he explains how we'll have peace. This internal, lasting peace, he says it's also peace through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so peace begins in our hearts when we love Jesus. And when we fall in love with Jesus, the Bible tells us that we'll be given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will call to mind everything that Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Jesus in our life. In fact, Jesus says this in John, just a few chapters over in 16. He says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. But listen to what he says. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. What will he do? What will the spirit do? Jesus says he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. For all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what is the indwelling Holy Spirit do to us? He will promote Jesus in your life. He will illuminate Jesus in your life. In fact, in John 14, the very beginning, the Holy Spirit, you know what he's called? The Spirit of Christ. Romans 8. Paul calls, um, Jesus, calls the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Why is he called the Spirit of Christ those two times? Because he's given a title of something that he actually does. He illuminates the Lord Jesus in your life. And I know the Holy Spirit is perhaps the most complex or misunderstood member of the Trinity, but one of the most foundational things, you cannot miss the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the person and work of Jesus Christ in our life. And so anytime you hear a ministry or a person say, well, I'm all about the Spirit. If you're all about the Spirit, what you're going to do is boast in Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so what the Holy Spirit does is boast in Jesus in your life. And so if you are sensitive to the work and the move of the Holy Spirit, if you have the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, you know what's going to kind of ooze out of you? Christ. And his work and his person and his words are going to start to show up in your life. And what does he do? Well, he recalls things for us. He brings things up for us. I don't know, for some of you, I know many of you that, um, man, you grew up maybe in a a Christian background and maybe you didn't become a believer until later, but you grew up hearing all these stories about you know Samson or David and Goliath. Maybe you've memorized Scripture. um, Maybe it was like a Christian school or Sunday school. You you had to memorize all of these um, different verses. And then later you become a believer, and what happens? All those verses start to make sense, and all these Stories begin to tie into a grander narrative of Jesus, and you're like, where did that come from? You know what we you know where that came from? The Spirit. He brings those things up and he brings them to the right moment. Or maybe you're talking to a friend and you're saying, Man, I, I just need wisdom to share, and then and all of a sudden, eloquently, this verse comes out, and you sound like, you know, you sound like Shakespeare all of a sudden. You're like, where did that come from? The Spirit does that. Maybe you're in a place of doubt or fear and anxiety and you pray and you ask and maybe you're not even sure what to ask and so you pray and the Holy Spirit recalls the things that you know about Jesus, his character and his love. That's what the Spirit does. You know why? Because the Spirit illuminates Christ in your life. Not only does he illuminate Christ in your life, but he convicts us because again, the Spirit is there to kindly make us more like Jesus. The Spirit doesn't use shame The Spirit doesn't use guilt, but he draws us to Jesus. So when we're in traffic, and holiday traffic, if we're in line at, that ridiculous line at TJ Maxx, and we lose our minds because that person just moves right in front of us with that red cart, and we want to say that thing, the Spirit's like, hey man, I wouldn't do that, right? It's not what Jesus would do. I want you to represent Jesus here in this moment. That's what the Spirit does. He brings conviction. You know what else the Spirit does? He brings, he sustains us. Just like the root, when it's not cut off and we're still attached to the root, the Spirit is the one who's going to constantly make us grow and develop and mature, even in times that are difficult and hard. That's what the Spirit does. You know what that's called? That's called peace. When I can recall something that's, oh, man, so painful in my life, and now the Spirit just drew me to a text or a passage or a truth about God, that's peace. Peace. And when I'm convicted, you know, I just want to act in my flesh and I want to respond out of anger or out of man, just vengeance. And the spirit just gently calms me down. You know what that's called? That's called peace. And when I feel like everything, I'm losing every battle, I'm man, I just I just I don't see hope in the future. You know what? The spirit just says, nope, you're gonna grow. I'm with you. You know what that's called? That's called peace. That's what the spirit does in our life. And this is a beautiful Remembrance in this Advent series because this Advent series, the, the season of Advent in general, is all about waiting. It's all about remembering a people who waited for Christ to come and be born and dwell among us as a baby. And it's remembering a time where they waited for God to come in the flesh. And it's also a time that we wait. We wait for Christ to return again. But here's the reality. Because he resurrected and he ascended to heaven he gave us his spirit, he's still with us. And Christmas represents God with us. And the Holy Spirit is forever with us, which means that God is forever with us. And one of the most beautiful aspects of Christmas is this, that since Jesus was born, he's never stopped being present with us. And that's because of the indwelling spirit who gives us peace. And this church is lasting peace. And that's only true if you're a believer in Jesus. So I want to talk to you if you're a believer in Jesus this morning. And a believer in Jesus means that you believe that the story of Christ's coming is not just about a baby, but about a baby who was a perfect sinless baby who grew up as a man and lived a perfect sinless life and died in your place and rose from the grave and the Bible says if you believe that truth through repentance and belief in the gospel, that you will not only be saved and have eternal life with Him, but you now will have the indwelling spirit in your life. Here's what here's my encouragement for you. Christ is in you. And maybe you feel overwhelmed and grieved in this season, because maybe this season represents loss. Maybe it's loss of a loved one or a relationship family member whatever it is maybe it represents that you are you feel alone and what i want to say to you in this if jesus if christ is in you jesus says this let not your hearts be troubled christ is in you maybe in this season you feel the need to hustle to perform to have the perfect christmas to buy the perfect gift you got to make your family happy. You got to make the kids happy. You got to make the spouse happy. You got to make your friend happy, and whatever it is, maybe you're wondering, well, how how can I ever live up to all these expectations, friend? What Jesus says to you this morning: Let not your hearts be troubled. Christ is in you. Maybe you're just over it. Maybe you feel like Scrooge. You just say, man, I hate the holidays. Shut up, Mariah Carey. I don't want to hear that song again. I get it. But maybe there's something here in this with you that God would have you pay more attention to. Maybe it's this peace. Have you found it? Let not your hearts be troubled with apathy. Let not your heart be troubled with hopelessness. Church, I want to tell you, Christ is in you. And maybe you're just in this space of being the consumer. Like, what am I going to get this year? I hope they remembered. Maybe I'll send them some hints. Maybe I'll send them a link. Maybe they'll remember, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying gifts. But if you're looking for gifts and things for lasting peace, you won't find it. And so what Jesus would say to you is, let not your hearts be troubled with consumerism. Christ is in you. And so if you are a believer, this is what you can rest in. Christ is in you. He did not leave you as an orphan, that he's with you. And this morning, if you're not a believer in Jesus, first of all, I want to say we are so glad that you're here this morning. You are always welcome here. And if you, we hope that you find the peace of Christ this morning because it is a lasting peace. It is not one that is temperamental or temporary where the Father says, Hey, son, daughter, you are not alone. And so Jesus says this, and I'm going to end this, with what Jesus says at the beginning of John 14 to his disciples when they were troubled. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know The way to where I am going. And then in verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you have known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Friends, Jesus offers peace, and that peace is found in him. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know him, He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, as a father, no one really has peace unless they know me. And the scriptures would say you could cry out to him and you know what Jesus says? I'm not gonna leave you as an orphan. I will come to you and I will know you and you will know me. That's good news, church. Let's pray. Father.